Authentic Christianity, there's a, that's a buzzword anymore. You hear people talking about, man, I just want to be real. I just want to be authentic. In Mark chapter 10 this morning, uh, I want to talk to you and I want to share just a short passage of Scripture. Really, you see there on the screen, it's not very long, just a short passage from Scripture in an effort to really see what, what does this authentic Christianity really look like. I mean, what does that even mean when you think about those words, authentic and Christianity? What does authentic mean? Well, authentic simply means something that is of an undisputed origin. That's what the dictionary says. Something that is an, of an undisputed origin or genuine. Another way to say it would be something that is real, right? You say, man, that guy's real. He's, he's very uh, authentic. Uh, there's no, nothing fake in that guy. What you see is, you've heard this saying, what you see is what you get. It's very authentic. But when we look at the idea of Christianity, that's simply someone who has placed their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but they also not only follow Christ, the idea of following Christ, uh, but following His teachings. And so we see this idea of authentic Christianity. The sad thing, though, is I think what we see in our culture today, and it's really running rampant, is that our culture is being affected by a brand of Christianity. Kind of like you go to the supermarket and you might be able to uh, go in the, uh, the, the soda aisle, which many of you know I stopped drinking soda last June. I can't believe I'm almost at a year ago that I have had a soda. And, uh, and you know, but you go in the soda aisle, you've got Coke products, you've got Pepsi products, you've got uh, the, the normal store products, you've got RC Cola, which is what my dad used to drink years ago. You've got the different brands, Shasta. Anybody drink Shasta? Um, when I was a kid, uh, what, was, what was that? Oh, when I was a kid, my mother used to drink this. Fresca. I was like, what's Fresca? You know, fres when I was a kid, I was told Fresca was for adults. I thought it was an adult beverage, so I stayed away from it. Um, but you go down, and there's different brands. I think today, part of the problem with our, our spiritual walk many times is there's this kind of a, this, this brand of religion that's running rampant around our society. And the problem is it damages the work and the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ because religion will never change us. There have always been people who have had religion. I mean, I grew up in, in, in a church, uh, you know, many of you know I grew up in the Methodist church, and there was always religion. By the way, I am not here to condemn the Methodist church. Uh, listen, uh, there are great, great men and women of God that are coming out of the Methodist church and other churches of different uh, uh, denominational backgrounds. But my point is this, as a child, I was focused more on the, the liturgical aspects of religion, the doing of religion, the, the form and the, uh, rather than the function of it. And so there was that problem and, you know, this idea that I see running rampant, in fact, I'll refer to it in a different way this evening, but this idea of artificial Christianity. Anybody ever seen anybody that kind of mirrors that kind of thought? Artificial Christianity. You know, Jesus actually warned us of artificial Christianity. You say, He did? Where did He do that in the Scriptures? Well, if you notice on the screen, they'll show you in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 15, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. 
The Apostle Paul, he also warned us of this idea of artificial Christianity and people that we ought to be aware of. In fact, you remember a few weeks ago I was sharing with you in 2 Timothy chapter 3, you know, that, that, that text opens up and it talks about the fact that in the end times there will be perilous times that are going to come. And then it goes through this litany of, of reasons why we can see perilous times. And it, and it begins by saying that men will be lovers of themselves more than God. But in verse number 5, notice what 2 Timothy 3 says. Paul says that they will have a form or a morphosis, is the Greek word there, have a form or formation or an outward appearance of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And then he actually gives us after the colon, you notice in the text it says, from such turn away. There's a danger when we get focused on religion rather than the relationship that we can have with Jesus Christ. The same is true today. People have religion. I mean, listen, we have a religion of a lot of things. I have a religion that tells me that when my feet are aching, I need to sit down and put them up on, on a stool. It's a religion. It's reality. I have, a, I, have a, I have another religion. You know what it's called? It's when my stomach starts to growl, I feed it. Right? We have, we have all kind of religions out there. And we, don't even, we just don't know that uh, that's what they're termed. And so uh, I think the problem with our society is many people have con contracted, if you want to use that idea, they've contracted a mild form of Christian thinking but have never truly been redeemed by the Redeemer, because His redemption is the only one that matters. It doesn't matter what I say, it matters what I believe. Notice what Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 in following says. Jesus says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that worketh iniquity. This morning, look with me in Mark chapter 10. I want to share with you, in fact, you'll notice I, in my Bible, uh, I have some notes around this short, very short story. And I've always told people, I feel like this is probably one of the saddest stories in the Bible. It really is. It's a sad, sad story. But I think that sometimes we can learn, even in our life, through sad stories, through a sad set of circumstances. Anybody ever faced adversity? I have. And you know, it's during those times that a lot of times I learn the most. Isn't that crazy? A lot of times I don't learn when I'm on the mountain time. On the mountaintop, I learn more when I'm in the valley. And so notice with me what the Bible says in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 and following. And the Bible says, And when he was gone forth in the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and the mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus beholding him loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, 
Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. Verse 22 says, And he was sad at that saying, and went away and grieved, for he had great possessions. In Scripture, this man is known as the rich young ruler because of a combined picture that we can actually see from not only uh, uh, Mark's Gospel account, but we can see it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And every one of their Gospel accounts, they tell us that this man is rich. If you look in Matthew's account, the story describes this man as being young. And if you look at Luke's account, understand these writers are writing to different sets of people throughout time. And in Luke's account, uh, he refers to this young man as a ruler, says he's a ruler of some sort. And so we get this, this, this collective picture of this guy that he is a rich, young ruler. And he comes to Jesus, and right away, what's really cool is we can see that this guy's got some wonderful qualities. Because if you notice in verse number 17, notice back what verse 17 says. And when he was gone forth in the way, talking about Jesus, the Bible says there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Right away we can see that this rich young ruler, what's really cool, is he has an urgency about him. He comes to Jesus. He's eager. Listen, he comes running to Jesus. Uh... It's been a long time since I've seen anybody run down the aisle to Jesus. A lot of times I give people an opportunity to pray and to trust Christ as their Savior and to make that decision. But a lot of times I'll, I'll ask people, I'll say, listen, I don't want to embarrass you. And really that's not the goal uh, to embarrass anybody. I'll just say, hey, would you just look at me so that I can pray for you and I can rejoice with you. It's been a long time since I've saw, seen anybody from the back or even the front Say, you know what, I need this, and come running to him. But yet we see this rich young ruler, he's eager. He comes running to Jesus. But also notice verse number 17, I see that he's humble. Notice what he does. It says, he's gone forth in the way, there came one running. But the very next phrase says, and he kneeled. He kneeled to him. This guy held a position of honor among men. He has plenty of wealth, evidently. He's young. I mean, let's think about it for a second. Anybody who's young and healthy and wealthy man and yet he comes and he runs to Jesus a lot of times position and power causes a problem in our life doesn't it I've, I've been in positions where I have men and women when I was in the military that worked for me with me under me and whatnot and you know it's like the uh, the spider-man young people you guys will get this it's like the spider-man movies you know with Great power comes great, say it, I know you know it, responsibility. This rich young ruler, he's got great power. He's got great wealth. He's got everything going for him. He's young. He's got his whole life ahead of him. And yet we see he's eager. We see he's humble. Listen, that's a trait that I would love to see not only in young people, but in middle-aged people and senior-aged people. Humble, humility, he comes to Jesus, he's got plenty of wealth, and he's hum in humility and deference, he kneels to Jesus. And you would think, well, isn't that what he ought to do? He ought to kneel to Jesus. But notice what verse 17 says again. It says he comes running to him, he kneels to him, and then he calls him good master. He's respectful. Wow, isn't that something our society lacks today? Nobody respects anybody anymore. 
When I was a young person, when I was a child, I was taught, respect your what? Oh, you've heard that before. I don't see that anymore. I don't see that anymore. But this young man, this young rich ruler, he has respect for Jesus. He calls him good master. And a lot of people say, well, why did he call him good master? Because Jesus immediately corrects him. But, you know, I've always heard this statement. You get more bees with honey than vinegar. I believe this young man, he has a desire, and he comes to Jesus, and he is seasoning his request with respect. Because he has certainly heard of Jesus. He's certainly heard of his fame because he realizes he's coming to Jesus. He's interested in spiritual things. That's another great quality. He says, what, may I, what must I do? What shall I do that I can inherit eternal life? He wasn't interested in more wealth. He had enough wealth. He wasn't interested in a different type of happiness. He was concerned with his spiritual well-being. That's a great quality. He's eager. He's humble. He's respectful. He's desiring something spiritual from the master. And then, here's something not even in verse 17 I see, but I see that this young rich ruler, he's moral. He's a moral guy. He's probably the best neighbor that you could ever have. Anybody ever have a bad neighbor? Man, that can cause trouble, can it? This guy, you ever have a bad neighbor, they can cause trouble. But folks, let's not look at our neighbors until we look at ourselves. What kind of neighbor are we? That's biblical, by the way. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so this guy in verse 20, I mean... I see that he's a good guy because he says, I've observed all these things. I've observed all of these things in the law since I was a young boy, since I was a kid. This is what I do. I'm eager, I'm humble, I'm respectful, I'm interested, Lord, in spiritual things. What shall I do? And yet the sad reality of this story is in verse 22, the Bible says that this young man went away grieved. He went away, I put it out here in my Bible, that word grieved, he went away distressed. You say, was he weeping when he went away? I don't know, but I know the Bible tells me that he went away grieved, and if I look up the connotation of that word and the meaning there in that context, it means that this guy is distressed because Jesus had spoken something to him that was not favorable but why does he go away grieved? I mean, Jesus shared with him. He loves him. The guy eagerly comes. He's humble. He's respectful. He wants to know how to procure eternal or everlasting life. And what I can tell, he's a really good guy. Anybody know some good people? He's a really good guy. And yet he goes away grieved. And so let's dig in just very briefly to see some more, maybe find out some more information about this topic of eternal life. And, and really, maybe we can grasp a better picture of what authentic Christianity really looks like. I would assert to you that this rich young ruler actually gives us some, uh, every one of us, an example that we can follow. You know, he comes to Jesus, right? And he's seeking some, something that he doesn't have. He says, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? He begins by doing exactly what you and I should do whenever we are seeking something as important as eternal life. He goes seeking for it. He not only goes seeking for it, he's eager for it. He's intense. He has an urgency about himself. He approaches Jesus. He confesses his need of eternal life. 
He obviously believes that eternity or eternal life exists because he asked Jesus, what do, I do to, what, what do I have to do to get it? And so all things look like they're in order. But I want you to notice with me a few facts about eternal life. Number one, notice verse number 17. Our praise is never and never will be enough. Our praise is not enough. And when he was gone forth in the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but, none good but one, that is God. By calling Jesus a good master, this young ruler is praising him. He is honoring him as much as he could honor a person. If you've ever offered praise or adoration or uplifted somebody, this is what it would have looked like in this time. He says, hey, good master. In fact, by saying good master, he was actually giving Jesus the highest title that he could ever give. Now watch this, a person. And so what I find right away is that this rich young ruler had the incorrect idea about Jesus. He says, hey, I know you're a person, I know you're a teacher, and so I'm going to come to you and I'm going to ask you a question, and I want to praise you by calling you good because everybody else has told me that you're a good guy. And so, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And immediately, Jesus tries to correct the young man's error. Notice, he, he says, hey, good master, what shall I do? And then in verse 18, Jesus says unto him, why callest thou me good? Why are you calling me good? There's no one good except for one, and that is God. And so what Jesus is actually saying to the guy, he says, hey, if you think I'm God, then you keep on calling me good because God is good. God is good, amen? All the time, and all the time, God is good. Oh, listen, Jesus is okay with him calling him good master. He just wants to find out, does he really believe that he's God? See, our Lord wants to move this rich young ruler to the point of recognizing him not just as a good person, but as God. Even today, I believe there's many people, they even read God's word, and they refer to Jesus as good master. Hey, good teacher. Hey, good rabbi. You're doing a good thing. I want to address you. I want to honor you. I want to lift your name before people because I think you're good. But in truth, they never fully intend on looking at the matchless character of the living. Uh, well, even looking at the matchless character of Christ aside from living according to his word. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 and following. Notice what it says. It says there is... For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. And notice who it is. It says the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Neither is there salvation in any other. Acts chapter 4 says this. It says, neither is there any other salvation in any other, for there is none other name uh, under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Listen, the only way that we are going to have eternal life is to recognize that eternal life comes through one, and his name is Jesus. That's what the Bible says. This is not what I say. I'm not up here kind of uh, giving you my thoughts or my ways because my thoughts and my ways are not God's thoughts or his ways. Isaiah tells us that. And so we have to, if we're going to understand eternal life, we have to get our answers from God's word. 
And so we see that. Listen, the rich young ruler needed to recognize that Jesus Christ truly was the only way, the truth, and the life. He needed to recognize that only through the way, the truth, and the life could he come to the Father. The rich young ruler, he needed to recognize all those things we've been talking about that is found in John's gospel. You know, he needed to recognize that Jesus was the bread of life. He needed to recognize that Jesus was the light of the world. He needed to recognize that Jesus was the door, that he was the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. He needed to recognize that he was the way, the truth, and the life. He needed to recognize that he was the, uh, the resurrection and the life. He needed to recognize that Jesus was the vine. And the only way that he could be connected was to be connected through Jesus Christ. And so we see, guys, praise is never enough. Secondly, we can see very quickly from this story that our respect will never be enough either. We can have a respect for God. Do you know Satan and his minions believe there is a God? You want to know why? A lot of people say, how do you see that? Well, Scripture tells us that they believe in God. But also, I, I would suggest to you that they believe in God so much, Satan and his minions, uh, because you see in Job, Satan shows up for the staff meeting. Jesus has a staff meeting of sorts, and Satan has to show up as well, just like all the other angels. Just because he's a fallen angel does not give him exempt status. Jesus says, here's a staff meeting, show up. And Satan shows up, and, and, and God says to him, he says, where you been? Where you been? Meeting was at 10 a.m., it's 10.05. And he says, well, I've been out walking to and fro, seeking whom, may, whom, may, whom I may devour. And Jesus, God, remember, Jesus has not been born at this point. We're looking at this. God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit says to Satan, says, have you considered my servant Job? Satan is real, folks. He seeks to destroy. He seeks to devour. Listen, you can have respect for God, just like Satan has a respect for God. He has a hatred for God and God's things because he wanted to exalt himself above God. He wanted to be God. But here's the critical point. The rich young ruler in verse number 17, he asked this question out of respect. He says, hey, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? He has a respect. He has, he says, hey, God, he says, I need to know what I need to do to get eternal life. He has a religion of works. You say, well, where do you see that? Well, because then Jesus says, you know the commandments. And then he says, oh, I've done all those things. Listen, in verse 19 and 20, notice what it says. It says, thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. What's really crazy is this guy has a tragic sense of self-righteousness. He has a tragic sense. If you study this passage, when Jesus says, you know the commandments, and gives him the list of the commandments, there in verse 20, he says, he answers and says, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. It actually means that he got a little, now here's a word that you don't hear much of. He got a little pert with Jesus. Actually, that's what it means, the phrase there, when he answers him. He gets a little cheeky. What does that mean? He got excited. You want to know why? Because he thinks Jesus gave him the answer that he can have eternal life because of what he's already done. 
He gets excited. He says, yeah. He said, I've already done those things. Woo, woo, this is exciting. I don't have to do anything else. All I have to do is follow the law. Oh, man, I've done that since I was a youth. But isn't it interesting that Jesus spoke to him about the different laws of his responsibility? These are considered laws of respectability and responsibility concerning his duty towards his neighbors. See, Jesus dives right into the very heart. He only mentions five, five commandments from Exodus chapter 20, but he mentions the ones that are focused on this rich young ruler's heart. Jesus says, hey, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. You know the commandments. And he says, yeah, I've done all those from my youth. Jesus says, really? You've done all those from your youth. Well, then let me speak to the real problem. You see, respectability is never going to be enough. The man has a distorted idea of the character of God. And because he has a distorted idea of God's character, he has a diminished idea of what God's commandments are. He says, hey, I've obeyed those things. I mean, this is, this is great news today. I mean, I ask what I have to do, and you're telling me just uh, about the commandments. I've already done those things. Well, I would encourage you to remember what I read at the beginning of the message in Matthew chapter 7. In the last two verses of what I read in verses 22 and 23, notice what Jesus says. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name, notice this, done many wonderful works, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that worketh iniquity. Listen, many people say, man, I, why was the law even given? Why was the law even given? The law, let me just suffice it to say this. The law was given to show you and I how sinful we are. Because we could never keep the law. There's no way that you could go out these doors and keep the law. I mean, we can't even keep the, the great commandment that Jesus offered. It's found in Matthew 22. It says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, with all of thy soul, and with all of thy mind. This is the first commandment. And then the second is like unto it, remember? He goes on, and he says, and you need to love your neighbors yourself. I mean, how could we keep 613 laws when we have a problem with the two? Respectability is not going to get us to heaven. And this rich young ruler, he learns this. Our respect to God will never be enough. Galatians 2 sums it up this way in verse number 16. Notice what it says knowing that a man is not justified by the works of law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not, notice that word, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. That word justified in the Greek means just as if you had never sinned. Romans tells us, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Romans 5, verse number 1. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. The Bible declares, for by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Listen, our respect will never be enough to get us to heaven. And then the last real thought that I really want to give you is that to be loved by Jesus is not enough. Now, I know some of you are like, whoa. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. Oh, I know the song too. 
But to be loved by Jesus is not enough. It takes us understanding this. Notice what verse 21 says. Just look at the first few words of it. Just stop at the first few words. Then Jesus beholding him, what does it say? It says he loved him. After we see the rich young ruler's misguided excitement, you know, he says, I've done all those things. He's so excited because he agrees that he's done all these things from his youth. We see Jesus looking deep within this man's heart. He senses the young man has a sincere desire to know him. He appreciates his quest for eternal life. But in the end, Jesus realized this guy's heart, this heart, his heart is divided. Now, let me stop right here for a second. He realizes this man's heart is so divided, and yet the Bible says after he looks at him, after he beholds him, he loves him. You see, Jesus loves him enough to do what I have been screaming from the top of my lungs for the past two and a half years, which is this. We need to be willing to love people enough to tell them the what? The truth. You don't go out of here and beat somebody down with truth. That's a bully. That's a bully. But you need to be willing to love people enough, willing enough to share uh, the truth of God's word with them. Notice what Jesus does. You say, well, where do you get that? Right here in this verse. It says, then Jesus beholding him, loved him and said unto him, thou lackest one thing. He says, there's one thing you lack. He says, I know you've done these things. I know you're probably a morally a good person. I know that you have a desire for eternal life. I know that you came to me in humility. I know you're eager to have answers, but you are focused on a religion of do, 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 do. And I want you to know that it has already been done. That's good news, by the way. The fact that it's nothing, it takes nothing from you or I, but that Jesus has already done it. And so what Jesus is basically saying here to this rich young ruler, he says, go and get rid of the things that govern your life. He said, Jesus says, you've got a problem. He says, and, and here's, I was telling somebody this week, I was talking, I don't know if it was Bruce or somebody, we were, he stopped by. Jesus says to this rich young ruler, he says, one thing thou lackest. He says, you got a problem. You don't want to know what it is? Rich, young, ruler. You say, well, what's the problem? Don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that Jesus was telling him you can't be rich and be a, a Christian. What he was telling the man was your heart is more focused on being a ruler. Your heart is more focused on your youth. Your heart is more focused on your wealth. And so because your heart is divided, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You must be focused on Jesus and Jesus alone. Listen, someone has said this, the issue is not that the man had many things, the issue is that his many things had him. You'll get that later. The issue wasn't that he had many things, man, I'm all for it. I'm all for it because the more that the Lord blesses you, the more that he can use you, praise the Lord. But that wasn't the issue. The issue wasn't that he had many things. The issue was that his many things had a hold of him. And Jesus says, you got a problem. He says, you want to come to me in humility. You're eager. Man, I appreciate that. But your heart is divided. 
The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, No man, Jesus says, can serve two masters, for either they will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The rich young ruler rejected Jesus for three reasons. Number one, his unbelief. Because Jesus said, go and sell all your possessions, give to the poor. And then he said, after that, he said, come, pick up the cross and follow me. He had an unbelief. He's like, hold on. This man is telling me I need to go get rid of all my possessions and then come back and pick up a cross and follow him. I don't believe he's God, so I'm not going to follow him. That was his problem. He had a heart of unbelief. Second reason he rejected him was because of his pride and self-righteousness. His mindset is like many of the world today. Look at what I have done. Look at what I have accumulated. You see this? That's the South 40 over there with all my cattle on a thousand hills. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished. And so he had a little bit of pride that was fighting at the same time. I'm a pretty good guy. I mean, Lord, I, I, I just told you that I have observed all these commandments from my youth. Surely God will accept me because I have been a good person and I have done many, many wonderful works. The third reason he rejected Jesus was because of his love of the world. You see, this young rich ruler, he loved his things more than he loved God and people. He loved his things more than he loved the hope of eternal life, which is why he actually came to Jesus in the first place. And he loved his position and his power more than he loved Jesus. His wealth, position, and power was the problem. Someone has put it this way, heaven and hell are in opposite directions. No man can go both ways at the same time. That's the fundamental problem with eternal life and this idea of authentic Christianity. We cannot go in two separate ways. The Bible says again in verse 21 and 22, Then Jesus beholding him loved him and said, Come unto me. He said, Said unto him, I'm sorry, One thing thou lackest. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad at the saying. And he went away grieved, for he had great possessions. You see, Jesus brought this man to a point of decision. And he does the same thing today. He brought him to a point of decision, and so I want to bring the message back to us today because we all must be brought to a point of decision in our life. You see, because authentic Christianity is about one thing and about one thing only, following Jesus, period. Authentic Christianity is about one thing and one thing only, following Jesus. Jesus. Jesus said, come, take up your cross and follow me. He did not say that taking up the cross would be easy. He simply said, this is what it takes. And so I asked the question, are you doing that? Are you picking up the cross daily and following Jesus? Because that's what authentic Christianity looks like. If you've never trusted in Jesus, I would say, what are you waiting for? Because Jesus said, hey, listen, your praise is not enough. It's not enough to come to a place of worship and lift up praise and lift up holy hands and sing about my son Jesus. That's not going to get you to heaven. It's not about coming to even to an altar in humility and saying, Lord, what must I do to be saved? It's not about that respectability. It's not even about the fact that Jesus died on the cross, that he loved you so much that he did that. The reality is that you have a choice to make just as I had a choice to make when I trusted Christ. You see, I can trust in man. 
I can trust in the devices of man. And there have been a lot of people, by the way, who have tried and have interpreted Scripture in such a way that we would be filled with works. This idea of do, 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 do. Now listen, James does declare that faith without works is dead. But our works don't save us. The Bible is clear on that. Our works are proof of the relationship that we have with Jesus. Just as my faithfulness is a proof of my love and my adoration for my wife in the marriage. Another subject, another topic. The question is, are you doing that today? Are you loving God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind? Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Folks, Jesus, if he doesn't affect the way that we think, the way that we speak, and the way that we act, then there's something wrong with our Christianity. You'll get that. Let me say it again. If Jesus is not affecting the way that you think, if Jesus is not affecting the way that you speak, and he's not affecting the way that you act, there's something wrong with your Christianity. There's something wrong with my Christianity if there is not proof in the pudding, so to speak. Listen, an authentic Christian, and I'm just going to give this to you, and you can take it for whatever it's worth. This is just extra. An authentic Christian, folks, is a person who confesses Jesus Christ as their Savior. Number one. Number one, authentic Christian is a person who confesses Jesus Christ as a Savior. Number two, an authentic Christian is someone who does not excuse sin. Sin is a dirty little word, isn't it? But it's a real word. Authentic Christian confesses Jesus. An authentic Christian does not excuse sin. By the way, an authentic Christian would not say he does not have sin because if he does, the Bible says he's a liar. So an authentic Christian does that. An authentic Christian actually enjoys fellowship with and seeks the good of others. Love thy neighbor as thyself. In Hebrews 10, it says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. And even so much more as you see the day approaching. Listen, we ought to be together worshiping God. We encourage one another. We can exhort one another. Uh, isolationism is a dangerous thing. I've heard people say, Well, I don't need to come... Uh, and worship with the brothers and sisters, you, you're, you're being fooled. You're being fooled by the world. The world has told you it's okay to skip church. The world has told you it's okay that once your kids have trusted Christ, you don't need to have them in the church. That's a lie. I can tell you, it will reap hazardous, hazardous rewards. Listen, different message for a different day, but someone has asked the question, why should God come to our house when we are unwilling or too busy to come to His? Whoa, don't get me started on that message. I need time to prepare that one. But I thought that was a good statement, isn't it? Why should we think that God, a holy God, a righteous God, a loving God, a just God, is going to make time and bless our family and bless the work of our hands if we don't make time to come to His house? As a family. Authentic Christianity involves us confessing Jesus as our Savior. Authentic Christian doesn't excuse sin. An authentic Christian enjoys fellowship with and seeks the good of others. Authentic Christian, here's one that I haven't touched on. An authentic Christian actually obeys the commandments of God. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. And then lastly, an authentic Christian loves the words and wisdom of God. Loves the words and wisdom of God. Listen, you're not going to tell me and you're not going to tell God one day, 
You know, I say, I love the Lord. <laughs> I love the Lord. Well, tell me what John 3.16 says. Well, Lord, I, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know what that verse says, but, but I know in John chapter 11, the Bible says Jesus wept. And so, so I love you, Lord. <laughs> I believe there's going to be some starry-eyed people up in heaven. I believe there's also going to be people when they get into heaven because of the blood of Jesus. They're going to wonder, where did I go wrong in life? What should I have been doing with my family? What should I have been doing, first of all, with myself? I believe there's going to be some people in a place called hell. As the Bible says, there are people in a place called hell, by the way. It's not a fictitious place. There's actually stories about it in, in Scripture. I believe there's going to be some people in hell that are going to be like this rich young ruler. They had a, they had a religion of works, but they never capitalized on a relationship with Jesus. That's why it's so important. An authentic Christian loves the words and wisdom of God. So how do we go from this point? Well, the reality is today you have two things to think about. One, if you've never trusted Christ, there ought to be nothing, I say nothing, that should stop you today from praying and asking the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive you and to come into your heart and to save you and to change you, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. Secondly, you may be here today and your life is in disarray. Your family's in disarray. You may have a need that's greater than you. By the way, I'm glad that you have a need that's greater than you because that causes us to rely on God. And so maybe you need to ask the Lord to bless in a special way. I don't know what the needs are, but I know the reality is in a room with this many people, behind every heart, there's, behind every door, there's a broken heart. And so I want to encourage you. We're just going to have a short moment of prayer. I'm not going to belabor the invitation, but I know some of you have been contemplating church membership. Man, today is the accepted point for that. You want to join with Battlefield Baptist Church? Come forward. Simply fill out a card. Say, you know what? I want to join. I want to transfer my membership. I want to join by statement of faith. I want to join, but I need to be baptized. We'll put that on there. We'll, get, we'll, we'll set up baptism. We're going to have baptism again soon anyway. But a lot of people have been sitting on the fringes talking about, man, I really like Battlefield. I, I, I'm thinking about it. I want to do it. Today's the day to join. Today's the day to get saved. Because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed this afternoon. And so let's pray. And let's ask God to work. Let's go out from these doors. Those that know Christ, let's go out and be authentic Christians. Let's be genuine. Let's be real. Let's live as though today depended on it.